Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Kapow Radio Show on the Kapow Radio Show Network. My name is Paul. And this is Miss Kapow. Today's date is? Today's date is July 18th, 2016. And we are going to continue with our social masonry series. This will be part five. Last week, we did a topic that we thought was outside of social masonry, and it was on the name of Jesus. What is behind the name of Jesus that you just must listen to if you haven't listened to it, because it will tell you what's behind the name of Jesus. But to our surprise, as we continued on our study with social masonry, we discovered that last week's show coincided very well with this week's show, which we are entitling The Christ Haters. Social Masonry Part 5, The Christ Haters. And we are going to talk about the origins of the Illuminati. This is our strong opinion. But I believe that they originated with the Jewish Sanhedrin Mm -hmm. in the first century. Not the Jewish Sanhedrin before Christ's time, even though there's seeds of that. But the real Christ haters and the real agenda to suppress Christ started after the death of Christ. Right. And we hear in the Bible, we read all the time about the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And then Pharisees has even become a bad word. Oh, you're a Pharisee. You're mm-hmm. acting like a Pharisee. You never hear anybody accuse somebody of being a Sadducee. No. Oh, you're a Sadducee. You never hear that. There's a reason why. Because the Sadducees are the Illuminati. They are the sons grandsons they are the serpent seed of the sanhedrin the council and we're going to prove that to you biblically Mm -hmm. so it's a long journey so let's begin bear with us because there's a lot of foundation but when we get to the end your ears are going to be twitching like a monkey Mm -hmm. honestly you got anything to say before we start okay all right It's what I want to call introduction to the biblical Illuminati, because that's who I believe these globalists are, these elitists, these bankers today come from the Jewish Sanhedrin. All right. Now, this is an anti-Semitic. I'm not talking about Jews or people with the Jewish race. That has nothing to do with that. Mm -mm. This has to do with the origin of Israel, who rejected their Messiah, but killed their God in flesh. That's what they did. And they brought a curse on themselves. So regardless of their race, that's what they did. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about this seed line, that Illuminati seed line, those rich Jewish bankers, the ones that own Hollywood, Mm -hmm. that that own all the banking systems, all that. I'm talking about those guys. I'm not talking about your Jewish neighbor or the guy who just goes to synagogue or whatever, right? He He needs Jesus as much as anybody else does. I'm talking about these elites, and this is where they come from. So don't get me wrong. I'm not being anti-Semitic. I'm being truthful here. This is where they come from. All right? Now, if I were to give you some of these names of some secret organizations and talk about the Illuminati, what would come to your mind if I would to tell you there's an organization called the Senate? You would go, the Senate. Secret organization. How about the name, the body of the elders, the body of the elders. To me, it sounds a lot like the 
Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion, right? That Illuminati document, the body of elders. How about if I told you of about an organization that controls other people called the council? The council. This one is really creepy. The Hall of Hewn Stone. Mm -hmm. How about the Great Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin Gedolah. The Great Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin Gedolah. Or the Great Law Court. This one is very Illuminati sounding. The Sanhedrin of 71. Mm -hmm. See, because there's 70 members plus the high priest. The Sanhedrin of 71. He's the tiebreaker. Yeah, he's the mayor. But guess what? Every single one of these terms that I just mentioned to you, every single one of them refers to the ancient Jewish Sanhedrin. The one you read about in the Bible. Mm -hmm. The ones that condemned our Lord Jesus Christ to death and forced the Romans, the Gentiles, to then crucify him. They're the ones behind their God-made flesh death. They're the ones that John the Baptist referred to as vipers. Exactly. These are the same guys. And this is where it all started. This is where they start hating Christ because they hate God. Mm-hmm. They love themselves and they love money, but they hate God and they love power. So they rejected God and got away with it. But when Christ came, they had to kill him. And then afterwards, they had to kill their prophets and apostles and all that stuff. And they've been at it ever since, suppressing anything to do with Christ. Mm -hmm. So who were the Sanhedrin of the first century? This is going to open up your eyes because now as you read the, the, the trial of Jesus and you read the book of Acts and the early church persecutions, you're going to understand just how evil and wicked these guys are. They're made up of the Sadducees primarily. But you're going to see, wow, these guys were really some evil, evil, nasty guys. Mm-hmm. The Sadducees, right? The Pharisees, yeah, they belonged to the Sanhedrin. They were part of some of that stuff, but they weren't the ruling ruling party. A lot of Pharisees actually came to Christ and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but these Sanhedrin guys, I don't think you ever read of any of them actually Dummy. converting. Mm-mm. All right. All right. So who were the uh, Sanhedrin in the first century? All right. Though the Sadducees had among them the nation's titular rulers, they were actually a minority party, and they could govern only through the Sanhedrin. This is where their power comes from. And so what we read in Acts, you know, where it says the rulers got together, the high priest, the elders, and the teachers of the law, which is usually transcribed transcribed, um, scribes, They came together, and these three groups formed the Sanhedrin, right? Rulers, elders, teachers of the law. These were Sadducees. The Sanhedrin, or the council, was the Senate. It's the Supreme Court of the nation. It had jurisdiction in all non-capital cases. That's why they had a forced pilot to crucify Christ. See, they 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 did not have the authority to do capital punishment because they were under Roman rule. And they lived with Roman rule and sucked up to the Roman rule for their own benefit. 
Okay. They were uh, what you would call house house dogs. Though it's also advised, they also advised the Roman government in capital cases, right? Like in, in Christ's case. The Sanhedrin consisted of the high priest who by virtue of his office was president and then 70 others. Therefore, you get the name of the Sanhedrin of 71. Made up of members of the high priestly families, a few influential persons of various formal ideological allegiances or backgrounds within Judaism and professional experts in the law drawn from both Sadducean and Pharisaic ranks. It was dominated by the Sadducees and probably came together mostly at their request. It met in a hall adjoining the southwest part of the temple area. That's where they get the name Hall of Hewn Stone, right? Mm -hmm. In stressing that the early opposition to Christianity arose principally from among the Sadducees. The author, our biblical author Luke, makes the point that the Sadducean element was especially well represented in this first trial of the apostles. We're going to read about that in Acts chapter 4. Annas, so Luke writes that, Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. Annas was high priest for nine years, AD 6 through AD 15, though he continued to exercise great influence after that and is seen in the New Testament as the real power behind the throne. And you can see that in Luke 3, 2, John 18, 13 through 24. And Caiaphas was his son-in-law. He was the high priest for 18 years through AD 18 through AD 36. Altogether, Annas arranged to have five of his sons, one son-in-law, Caiaphas, and one grandson appointed to the office of high priest. So just who John and Alexander were, no one really knows though the Western text would suggest that the first was Anna's son, Jonathan, who replaced Caiaphas in AD 36. So what you can see by this, that they are elite ruling class high priest family mm-hmm. Jews. Yeah, well, the other thing that you can see here too is that at one time it was God that appointed the high priest, and now it's man. Thank you. And that's that's a, a very, very good point. And we don't have time to get into all of this. But in the intertestamental period between the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, and the book of Matthew, there's a 400-year time that a lot of Christians think nothing was going on, that it was silent. That's absolutely not true. There was all kinds of stuff going on. It's just that we're not taught that stuff in evangelical Christians. It's all in the Apocrypha. Uh, if you get a chance, if you haven't done so, read First and Second Maccabees. It's the Jewish history between this 400 years that is super, super enlightening 
And it will explain to you that when once Jesus came on scene, or really John the Baptist came on scene, how how that changed everything. Mm-hmm. And in this intertestinal period, God raised up a group of men called the Maccabees. Judas Maccabees, which means hammer, by the way. He raised up these hammers to deliver them from the Syrian overlords. These, these guys, when Alexander the Great died, he left four generals. And four generals then ruled the whole world. And under Syria, there was, um, I call him Antiochus. Some people say Antichius, you know, the Great and Antichius IV. This is the guy, his son, Antichius IV, is the guy who uh, sacrificed the pig mm-hmm. on the altar of the temple. There's all kinds of stories there. So God raised up the Maccabees. Judas Maccabees was a father, and he had all these sons. And they begin to deliver Israel from these oppressors mm-hmm. and do guerrilla warfare and fight. And it's just incredible stories. Yeah, They rededicated the temple. In fact, that's where... You get Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights, that mm-hmm. comes from the Maccabean period. Well, the, after the after they had delivered Israel, the Mac, the Maccabees had then made uh, Roman rule had come in in uh, sixty BC under uh, Pompey, mm-hmm. and after they had ruled, they then made um, allegiance to to Rome, and, Lo, and Rome made allegiance to them, and so they became basically the kings of Israel or the rulers of Israel, even though they were still subject to Rome, right? It was a political thing. Mm-hmm. And like Ms. Kapow had pointed out, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God appoints the high priest. That's mm-hmm. God's job right. to make the high priest, and it can only come from the Levitical family. Mm-hmm. Well, during this period around um, 163, 175 B.C., something like that, that priesthood became politicized mm-hmm. and they lost the lineage from being a pure Levite to somebody else being appointed by the king of Syria, a Gentile king of Syria, like Antiochus, appointing them to the office of high priest because it was very powerful and very political. Sure. And, after, and, and coming from this then became the Hasmonean dynasty. So these guys came out of what was good, the Maccabees, and the Maccabean family then turned bad. And the Hasmonean dynasty then ruled the Jewish people through the Roman government. And so they were elites. They were the uh, blue bloods, the royal bloodline, all right? And they would set up and appoint, not according to God or ancient law, but according to politics and power, they would appoint who was going to be the high priest. That person, as you can see by the Sanhedrin, that's like being the president of the United States Supreme Court. And that's how things are ruled now. Exactly. And it continued on. So when you when you see John the Baptist come on scene in Matthew... And he's dealing with Herod, the great Herod was from the line of the Hasmoneans. Mm-hmm. See, so I hope that's kind of making sense. Mm-hmm. That's a little, the little bit of history lesson. Someday, Lord willing, you know, Miss Capel and I are going to go through First and Second Maccabees with you guys and, and read that stuff and break. It's just fascinating stuff. Fourth Maccabees is all about the martyrs. That's really good too. 
fascinating history, the Jewish history. So that's where we're at. And that's that's now what's forming what you're called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin. These are elites. These are special blue bloods that come out of special lineage. It's mm-hmm. not just everybody, right? It's kind of like our globalists and elites today. This is where it's stemming from. This is the origins of it. So let me read from the 1906, the year 1906, Jewish Encyclopedia, the definition of the Sanhedrin. And this is all going to make sense to you folks. Just hang on. This is from the unedited text of the 1906 Jewish Encyclopedia. Do you want to read this? Sure. Okay. There are no references to indicate whence the Sanhedrin derived its authority or by whom it was elected, unless it be assumed that the convocation of the body by the high priest and at times by the Jewish king, as mentioned in their sources, refers to the manner of its election. This Sanhedrin, which was entirely aristocratic in character, probably assumed its own authority since it was composed of members of the most influential families of the nobility and priesthood. The Pharisees had no great influence in this assembly, although some of its members may have been friendly to them at various times. So notice that its origins are composed of elites or influential families or the nobility and priesthood. And like Ms. Kapow said, God used to select the high priest, but after the Maccabean period, it became a political office chosen by the elites and the Roman rulers. This is the origin of the Illuminati bloodlines. They came from the Jewish elites and are now the rich Jewish bankers, heads of state, globalists, etc. that we have today. Uh, continue, Ms. Kapow. The high priest, who from the time of Simeon was also the head of the state, officiated as president of the Sanhedrin. He bore the title a Nazi, Nasi, which is N-A-S-I, which means prince, because the reins of government were actually held by him. Subsequently, when they were transferred to the other hands, the high priest retained the title of Nasi as president of the Sanhedrin. The powers of the latter official were restricted under the procreators, without whose permission the body could not be convened. The Sanhedrin, since it was a political authority, ceased to exist when the Jewish state perished with the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. After the destruction of the temple at Jerusalem and the downfall of this Jewish state, the Academy of Jebna was organized as the supreme religious authority, being therefore regarded as the continuation of the great Bet Din in the Hall of Hewn Stone. The later Jewish academies under the presidency of the patriarchs of the family of Hillel, hence down to the end of the 4th century, were also regarded as the continuation of that institution. This is the meaning of the sentence, the Bet Din of the Hall of Hewn Stone went on ten journeys until it finally settled at Tiberias. They accordingly retained its organization and the president bore the title of Nasi, the second president officiating side by side with him as Ab Bet Din. So you notice here that the high priest from the time of Simeon, which was like a great grandson of Judas Maccabees, he's a Hasmonean now, was also the head of state. So the high priest then becomes the head of state. So it becomes very politicized. It's no mm-hmm. longer what God had laid down in the law of Moses. Right. It's totally 
apostate. Right. By the time Jesus is born and comes on the scene, it's totally sideways. Totally apostate. That's the cultural and historical milieu that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right? So after 70 AD, the Sanhedrin basically went underground using Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism. And I'll explain that to you later. It Using money and banking to control not only the Jews, but the entire planet. Mm-hmm. They're globalists now. See, they don't need to use force. They don't need an army. They, they control the, the supplies, the food, and the money. Because these same bloodlines had killed their God and cursed themselves, they became the rich, powerful, elite, wicked, evil, Satan worshipers, and all things despicable, their serpent seed, that we know today as the Illuminati, the globalists, and the elite. You know, don't pray for these people. These people have committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Mm. They, they, they killed Jesus Christ. They rejected, and then everything after that, they rejected him, and they rejected the calling. These people are, are not redeemable. These are serpent seed. Mm-hmm. They're here to destroy you and here to destroy everything uh, in the image of God and uh, anything to do with Christ. Yeah, it's what uh, it says in Genesis um, 3.15 where God says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. That's Very the good. seed that's, they're talking about. That's what they're talking about. We're not talking some Nephilim deal, some alien hybrid. We're talking when people totally blaspheme the Holy Spirit, reject Christ like they did, mm-hmm. and then turn their hearts, their bloodlines them and their children, their seed, mm-hmm. they turn it 100% over to Lucifer. Yeah, it's a willful um, decision to reject God yes. and Christ Jesus. Yes, and so they're at war with anything to do with Christ, and um, that means you as a biblical Christian, all right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's a couple of scriptures here that talk about that's you just named one in genesis how about matthew 27 um start there yeah Mm -hmm. when the morning was come all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against jesus to put him to death this is the sanhedrin this is the chief priest the elders of the people they formed a council against jesus to put him to death so when i say they killed their god i'm saying they killed their god Mm-hmm. This was Yahweh. This That's was their right. God. This is the God of the universe that came down as flesh. Now, God's ultimate plan was to die for the sins of the people. These guys didn't know that. Mm-hmm. See, they killed their God. So I know they got mad. Um, the Jewish uh, elites or whatever got mad at Mel Gibson on the Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for they wanted him to take that part out there. His blood be on us and upon our children, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a reason why they want that out. Right. They want to deny they had anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. And they did it, I mean, within the first century when, when Peter and John were talking at the temple. Yep. It goes all the way back to Isaiah 28, too, where the, the, the scornful evil men were saying that the wrath of God will not touch us mm-hmm. because of who we are. Yes. We sit as a and queen. God says something different. Exactly. So Matthew 27, 6 says, And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. So the Sanhedrin, the chief priest, admitted that the money they paid to Judas 
the traitor blood was money. was blood money. So, so you see that they're, you'll see later on how they they're lying and want to deny this. Matthew twenty seven twenty. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Bar- ask Barabbas this destroy and destroy Jesus. This is the Sanhedrin. These are the San- Sadducees. They are asking to destroy Jesus. Matthew twenty seven twenty two. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. This and is their God. Okay. 23 says, And the governor says, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out more, saying, Let him be crucified. Then, in verse 25, it says, Then answer all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. That's the big one. Matthew twenty-seven twenty-five. They brought the curse on themselves. Mm-hmm. Once again, let me clarify. I'm not saying Jewish people brought the curse on themselves or people of Jewish descent if that even exists today. I'm talking about these elites, these Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish elites. They brought the curse on themselves. Mm-hmm. The seed of Satan. The seed of Satan. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking race. I'm talking seed of Satan, mm-hmm. serpent seed. And it was also interesting that these people actually manipulated the crowd to mm-hmm. go along with them. Yes. And you can see that happening again today. It's never changed. No. This is the origin of the Illuminati and the mm-hmm. globalists. This is, this is what we're laying down as a foundation. Their hatred for God. You notice this in these scriptures. Their hatred for God made flesh and their utter disdain for the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth has caused them to blaspheme God's Holy Spirit. Thus has reduced them to eternal hell without the possibility of salvation for unpardonable sins. That's what it is. That's right. Their God is Satan as the name of Mammon. This is the wealth God they chose over Jehovah. This is why Jesus says one can only serve one God, either Jehovah or Mammon. No other idols or gods are mentioned, only Mammon. Doesn't it ever strike you strange? That God says, you can only serve uh, uh, one master, you can't serve two masters. And he doesn't say, you can't serve Yahweh and Baal, Isis, uh, Horus. He doesn't name all the gods. He doesn't go. He just says, Mammon Mm -hmm. is the only one. Why is that? Because Mammon represents, that's Luciferian. That's right. Money, banking, finances, economic, economic control of the planet all the systems and the people within the planet. That's what we're talking about. This is their God and their reward for serving him. They came from the Jewish Sanhedrin. They have become what we know today as the world's bankers, owners of this planet. They're the masters of the planet. They are the heads of state, the high-ranking officials, the very wealthy, the the celebrities, and other controllers of the world. Mm -hmm. They hate Jehovah God made flesh. You have to understand that. They hate God. That's why they use God's name as a curse word. When, you know, in movies and mm-hmm. stuff, they never say, oh, Muhammad or anything like that. They always use the name of our Lord. And when they do humor, word. it's always about Christ. Yep. Comedians will, will be sacrilegious about Christ. No other religion. Right. There's a reason for that. It's exactly what you said, Ms. Capel. There is that reason because they hate they disdain jehovah and his son Mm -hmm. all right they have always hated him this is their real motivation and goal in all things just like you pointed out to destroy and stop the name from being preached 
This is the whole goal of celebrities, of music, of movies. It. This is what they do. In Luke 16, 13, he says, Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Jesus says, ye cannot serve God and mammon. Mm -hmm. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay, the Jewish encyclopedia states that the great Sanhedrin continued after the fall of Jerusalem and destruction of the Jewish nation. Again, these elite bloodlines are the rich and powerful of today, and again, they hate Jesus, the Messiah. That's right. It's the the Bible's it lays it all out. Mm-hmm. Okay, how did these men get up, appointed and promoted to be members of the Sanhedrin? Okay, according to our Josie or Josie B. Halafta, the members of the great bit then were required to possess the following qualifications. One, scholarship. Two, modesty. Three, popularity among their fellow men. They had also to be strong and courageous. Now, does that sound just the opposite of what Jesus was was preaching? Mm-hmm. It sounds just the opposite. Well, Jesus said to be humble, but their humility is different. Their mm-hmm. humility is the one that cast all their their treasures, you know, in the temple, and then they beat their chest and go, mm-hmm. "Look at me!" Or they do the long prayers on the street mm-hmm. and they take windows money. That's their humility. But it says they have to be popular among their fellow men. They have to be like Rick Warren, Joel Olstein. You have to be popular. You have to be the Pope in order to be the elite. They have to be strong and courageous. Only such were eligible, moreover, as had filled three offices of gradually increasing dignity. You know what those are? Local judge uh, and member successfully of two magistrates uh, magistrates at Jerusalem. So you had to be like a muckety-muck, man. These aren't... See, whereas the Pharisees took people of all walks of life and all occupations and stuff. The Pharisees, the word Pharisee actually comes from a root word that means to separate. So their whole thing was to live a separate life unto God. So the Pharisees are always used as a bad name, but they were near—they weren't nearly what the Sadducees were as a political ruling uh, class. Nowhere, but we don't use the term. Oh, you're a Sadducee. Mm-hmm. Never hear that. No, there's a reason. Our Yohanan, who's a Palestinian Amora of the third century, enumerates the qualifications of the members of the Sanhedrin as follows. Folks, if you're asleep, wake up right now. Wake up. You have to hear this. The qualifications of the members of Sanhedrin are, check this out. One, they must be tall. Two, of imposing appearance. Three, of advanced age. And four, they must be learned. And five, must understand foreign languages. Now check this out. And six, as well as some of the arts of the necromancer. There you have it. That's from the 1906 Jewish Encyclopedia. Did you catch that? They must be learned in the arts of the necromancer. They must know how to talk to the dead 
and the demons and the spirits. This is where they got their guidance from. This is where they get their guidance from today. It was a requirement that they understood those arts and practiced them before they can even be on the Sanhedrin. Mm -hmm. These are the people who crucified Jesus Christ. They're also known as the bone conjurers. Interesting. When you think of skull and bones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The elites. Interesting. Okay. Understand the arts of the necromancer. Obviously, this is where they talk and commune with demonic forces to get their power. And this is from the 1906 Jewish Encyclopedia. It states that the members of the Sanhedrin must understand the arts of necromancy or communicating with the dead, as well as all the, all the southern nonsense, tall, imposing appearance, advanced age, you know, elderly. This is where you get the protocols of the learned elders of Zion. Mm-hmm. They must be learned and educated in foreign languages. These are the elites. And they hate the name of Jesus. Okay, why don't you read Acts 4, 1 through 7, which is really, we're just getting to our text, because now we're going to start talking about. Okay, Acts 4, 1 through 7, and it says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them on hold, in hold until the next day, for is now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? And last week we talked about the name mm-hmm. of Jesus. They hate the name. They asked, by what power and what name have you done this? Understand this. Normally when you read this, this little portion of Acts and you say, um, it was the high priest and his family, Caiaphas and John and Alexander. You just kind of go over that because it means nothing to you. Mm-hmm. But now it should mean something to you. You've got to understand these are the guys who were required to have an understanding in the art of necromancy. These are the guys who had to be tall and beautiful and powerful and rich and popular among the people. These are the powerful global elite. These are the Bilderbergers. And they're taking these little unlearned Galilean fishermen who had been with Jesus and putting them on trial because they say, quit preaching stop preaching about the resurrection and this Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So in this particular deal, we can see that the early opposition against preaching the gospel is shown by Luke as arising chiefly from priestly and Sadducean ranks. Not the Pharisees, from the Sadducean ranks. The priests and the captain of the temple... And the Sadducees, the captain of the temple guard was the commanding officer of the temple police force. Now, he was considered inferior in rank only to the high priest. And he had the responsibility of maintaining order in the temple precinct. So he was a powerful guy, this captain of the guard, was he? Mm -hmm. He was like the head of the CIA or the FBI. 
you can make investigations just kind of disappear, can't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Sadducees were descendants of the Hasmoneans who looked back to Matthias, Judas, Jonathan, and Simon. These are all the Maccabees. This is, like I said before, 168 to about 134 B.C. They looked back to these guys as having inaugurated the Messianic age, Messianic age, I'm sorry. So you understand that? They looked back as seeing the Maccabees having inaugurated the Messianic age. That's why they didn't want to hear about this Jesus fellow. Mm-hmm. Because guess who who were the Messiahs? They were. Mm-hmm. That's what they think they are today. They saw themselves as perpetuating what their fathers had begun. Saviorship. As priests from the tribe of Levi, they claimed to represent ancient orthodoxy and were uninterested in any innovations whatsoever. They didn't want to hear this Jesus guy. Thus, they opposed any developments in biblical law, speculations about angels or demons, and the doctrine of the resurrections. We don't want to hear about that stuff. We are the messiahs. That sheds a lot of light. Mm-hmm. on their hatred towards Christ and their hatreds towards the apostles in the early church mm-hmm. and their hatreds for us today mm-hmm. and anything Christian. Well, look at the, the attitude of our government and the leaders of the global leaders. Mm-hmm. They, they want to be our saviors. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Likewise, they rejected what they considered to be vain hopes for God's heavenly intervention in the life of the nation and for the coming Messiah. Since as they believed the age of God's promise had begun with the Maccabean heroes and was continuing on under their supervision. For them, the Messiah was an ideal, not a person. And the Messianic age was a process, not a cataclysmic or even datable event. So you can understand the mentality here. It's just a process. Don't tell me this Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's God made flesh. We killed a man, but don't put his blood on me. Furthermore, as political rulers and dominant landlords to whom a grateful nation had turned over all political and economic powers during the time of the Maccabean supremacy. <laughs> For entirely political reasons and practical reasons, they stressed cooperation with Rome and maintenance of the status quo. Don't rock the boat, man. Most of the priests were of Sadducean persuasion. The temple police force was composed entirely of Levites. The captain of the temple guard was always a high caste Sadducee, and so were each of the high priests. Man, did you, did, I mean, do you catch that? That the nation gratefully had turned over all their money and political power to them during the Maccabean supremacy, you know, for saving them. So now they're in control, just like well, all of us on Facebook gladly turn over all our information to some dude named Zuckerberg who mm-hmm. <laughs> then sells it to all the to governments. I mean, you know what I mean? It's the same stuff. We turn all our information over to Google. Well, look at me. The priests and the Sadducees were greatly disturbed, it says, when they heard the apostles preaching about two matters. Okay, First, the apostles were teaching the people 
An activity of those the Sadducean ranks saw as a threat to the status quo. They were rocking the boat. Yep. You see, you see the key here? Like their master, Peter and John were rallying popular support and acting unofficially in a way as a disrupt established practices. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. If you'll be so kind and read Acts chapter 5, 17-33. When the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning, and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain of the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They hate that. The council began the interrogation by reminding the apostles of their previous command to be silent about the name, about this name. They won't say Jesus. Mm -mm. They won't even say his name. Be silent about this name. See, the apostles now are in contempt of court, and the interrogation contains no question, rather only the fact that the apostles refused a direct order. Notice that the Sanhedrin objects to their insistence for blaming the council for Jesus' death. Yeah. Quit, quit, quit blaming us for his kill. They just killed him. Mm-hmm. I mean, like within, like what? Within a couple of months. Mm-hmm. It was the same people. Yeah, but no, we didn't. No, we didn't. Mm-mm. You quit blaming us. like Hillary, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, sounds just like Hillary. We, no, we didn't. Somebody else did it. I mean, Pilate did it. We didn't do it. Why would why would they not talk responsibility for that? Okay, so they they, they hate that, and then um, it's just like today the Kabbalah Jewish elite they do not want to be reminded of the murder of their God in the flesh at all. Mm-mm. The council only wanted to preserve their own interest and power and authority. They had no desire for the truth or falsity of the Christians' claims mm-hmm. at all. There's nothing. Also notice that the hardened hearts of these elites refuse to speak the name of Jesus and instead command them to not speak in this name. 
Don't speak in this name. It's it's like contempt. I won't even I won't even I won't even acknowledge this. They show their utter contempt for the name of Jesus both then and now, and then they spit out the epithet this man when referring to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth whom they murdered. You see, they hate the name of Jesus. That's right. This man. We told you, don't be preaching about this man. Mm-hmm. We we didn't quit blaming us the blood of this man. It's contempt. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to change directions here, and it's all it's all going to fit in. But we're going to change directions here, and we're going to show you how it takes somebody like a Jewish Sanhedrin, somebody with the knowledge of of Scripture and and Jewish history and stuff, to be able to manipulate and change us. And, and our thinking and a lot of things. So we're going to talk about the rejected stone. This is part of Peter's, I'm not going to say defense, his blasting of them. And he talks about um, how they they uh, rejected the stone uh, of Jesus Christ, right? So what we've learned here is that in Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, there's a play on words Eben and Ben. Eben, E-B-E-N, means stone, and Ben, B-E-N, means son. Mm-hmm. So like when you hear, you know, Ben Elohim, it means, you know, sons of God. So if I were to say Eben Elohim means stones of God. Mm-hmm. And that there's a word play that we miss in English. But we're going to go over some scriptures here and show you this word play. And then we're going we're gonna to wrap it up and it's going to all make sense to you. So you want to start with Exodus 28.9? Sure. But the one thing I wanted to say about the word stone in oh, itself, yeah. it's it's from the root word um, bana, which means to build, to make, or obtain children, and to restore or establish. But the word ben actually means son or builder of the family name. Interesting. Okay. You know, and later on when we, we talk about... Um, the scripture in Ephesians, how we're stones yes. built upon the foundation of Christ. Yes. We're building the family name of Christ. Wow. So, so we're stone sons. Yeah. We're sons that are stones in building. I like that. That's that's a really good uh, insight the Lord gave you there. Praise the Lord. Okay. That's great. Exodus 28, 9. And thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of Israel. So when you read that in English, you go, huh? But thou shalt take two onyx stones, Eben, and grave on them the names of the children, Ben, of Israel. That's what it is in Hebrew. So in Hebrew, and thou shalt take two Eben, and grave on them the names of Ben, of Israel. There's a wordplay. That's right. Joshua 4, 6 through 8. That this may be a sign among you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying... What mean ye by these stones? Then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over Jordan, the waters of Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spoke unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. And carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. 
all over the place of that those verses. Mm-hmm. Stones and children, stones and children. It's Eben and Ben, Eben and Ben. Joshua four twenty through twenty one says, and those twelve stones which they took out of Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gagel, and he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Again, Ben, Eben, Ben, Eben, stones, children, stones, children. First mm-hmm. Kings eighteen thirty one. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. Eben, stones, 12 Eben, the number of the tribes of the Ben of Jacob. Okay, Isaiah 54, 11 through 13. O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires, and I will make thy windows of gates, and thy gates of carbuncles and all thy borders of pleasant stones, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Stones, children, stones, ben e ben, Lamentations 4, 1 through 2. How is the gold become dim? How is the most fine gold changed? The stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street, and the precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how are they esteemed as earthen pitchers? The work of the hands of the potter. Okay, all these all these Old Testament references are saying Ben Eben stones sons stones sons. Miss Kapow just gave you a great insight about the scripture in Ephesians that we are the living stones. We are stones that are used as building blocks to build, and then the word son Ben is to build the family name to build. So. God knew the play on words, stone, son, they're building blocks. We lose that in English, but now we got it back, okay? Mm-hmm. So you can see all through the Old Testament, we're not lying to you or stretching it or making it up. This is what it says. There's a word play between stones and sons. We need to stand up and take attention, pay attention to that. And then I'm, we're going to point out in a bit how the Sanhedrin, how the Illuminati are trying to destroy that right. okay now let's talk about messianic stones in daniel 2 34 35 which clearly equates the stone with the messiah mm. thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is referring to Jesus Christ as the stone. He's the son of God. He's the stone. Psalms 118.22, a messianic stone. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. Mark 12.10 And ye have not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner? Quoted by Jesus Christ himself, using that psalm to refer to himself as the Messiah. Let's talk about some foundation stones. Isaiah 28.16 says, Therefore thus, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, 
He that believeth shall not make haste, which means confounded or ashamed. And that's clearly a messianic psalm that's mm-hmm. quoted by New Testament writers, Paul and Peter, mm-hmm. saying Jesus is that foundation stone, right? So we're getting now we're getting the picture here that stone and son is stone Jesus Christ, messianic sons. We're sons. He's the son of God. We're sons of God through Jesus. We're the living stones. You're getting the connection here, mm-hmm. right? God is saying we are the stones building the church of Christ, right? Luke 2018. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Referring to himself, Christ Jesus is saying, if you stumble on me, you're going to fall, you're going to stumble, but if I fall on you, I crush you. That's the end, mm-hmm. right? He's the stone. This, uh, and then the next scripture is... Um, Acts 4.11. And it says, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. That's what Peter quoted to the Sanhedrin, Romans nine thirty one thirty three. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the st- stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Quoting Isaiah, Paul is quoting Isaiah, clearly Christ is a stone that they, that he, Paul is saying Israel, the Sanhedrin, these, these people who rejected Christ because they're, they're not, they had followed the law of righteousness, but they didn't attain the law of righteousness because they were doing it not by faith, but by works of the law instead of faith in Christ Jesus. And so they stumbled on Christ as the stone they stumbled on. They, they fell. And uh, he's a rock of offense to them. That's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. The Sanhedrin, the elites, the globalists, the people that are ruining our lives today. First Corinthians 3.11. For other foundation can no man lay that than that is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Christ is the foundation. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 2.20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And if you read the, all the scripture there, you know, we're just cutting the verses. He's talking about us right. that are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Jesus Christ himself is that chief corner. Mm-hmm. Right? Actually, that really is a very beautiful scripture. It really is. You have it there? You want to just yeah. go ahead and give it to him? It says, um, we are built upon the foundation of the apostle and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also be builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Yeah, thank you. It's gorgeous. It's, yeah, it's a lot more clarifying when you read it. Mm-hmm. Okay, one more. First Peter 2, 4 through 8. To whom coming as a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, 
The same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. It's clear through Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, Jesus Christ is our stone, our foundation. We are the building blocks to build the church through him. When I say church, I'm not talking about building or 501c3 business the, organization. The body of Christ. I'm talking about the body of Christ. You and me. You, you people listening. Okay? So, what does this have to do with the Sanhedrin, the Illuminati, and all these people? I want to talk about the Masonic Cornerstone Ceremony. And I want to talk about how they... The Masons, a secret fraternity group, and most of you know that I was um, raised to a third-degree Mason, a master Mason, years ago. Uh, when I came to Christ, I demitted. I, I repented, but I also demitted from that organization. But I was raised a master ma- uh, Mason in Lodge 635 in Riverside, California, and um, went through the basic ceremonies, but never higher up. Right, so and the occult stuff, but I realized soon after that this was very satanic, very occult, mm-hmm. and so um, what they what they don't teach the low level masons, they just think it's a fraternity and stuff like that. When you get in the higher ranks, these higher guys, it's 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 Lucifer worship. So these Masonic cornerstone ceremonies, and I'm going to read a little bit to you about this. I want you to then keep in mind what we just read to you about the stones and the suns and the Sanhedrin and the Masonic ceremony, these these serpent seed from the Sanhedrin that hate the name of Jesus. See, they know, that's what I'm saying, they have to have a deeper understanding of the biblical things. They were raised with this. They know that these scriptures refer to the Messiah, who's Jesus Christ. So what they do is they mock that and they replace it with the Antichrist, their pseudo-Christ, with their God Mammon or whoever else they're worshiping, themselves or whatever. They do the ceremony in mockery. Does that, that kind of make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, because I don't want to confuse our listeners. We talked about the Sanhedrin we talked about these stones, foundation stones, the stone of rejection, all these things, the stumbling stone, and now I'm going to tie it together on the Masonic Cornerstone Ceremony to show you how they hate Jesus. All right? And make a mockery of things. And make a mockery. Okay. The Masonic Cornerstone Ceremony. The dedication ceremony is the symbolic laying of the cornerstone. That which supports, again, symbolically, the entire structure. So when the cornerstone is discussed, by extension, it refers to the entire building project. And that, in turn, refers not only to the actual physical actions to erect the building, but also to the, check this out, mental, spiritual, even metaphysical energies that have come together to cause the creation of the edifice. Mm. Do I need to say that again? I think I do. It refers to the entire building project and in turn, not only the physical building, but also to the mental, spiritual, and metaphysical energies that have come together to cause the creation of the edifice. Masons have laid down the cornerstone on 
thousands of government buildings. You walk around your town, you'll probably see a Masonic sign somewhere on the city hall. It's always a public building. They do some Catholic churches too, by the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the Denver airport, big yeah. Masonic cornerstone there. Mm-hmm. It's a dedication ceremony. And I just I just read to you, this is right from the Masonics, the, one of their websites. It has a metaphysical and spiritual energy component to it. It's a mockery of Christ. The officers conducting the ceremony, usually um, officers of the state's Grand Lodge, symbolically square, they level, and they plumb the cornerstone, assuring that it is set correctly, that the craftsmen have done their duty. After the Grand Lodge officers have squared, leveled, and plumbed the cornerstone, the Grand Master finishes the work by proclaiming the foundation stone well-formed, true, and trusty. You see, this isn't Christ. Mm -mm. This isn't Christ. This is their God that they're proclaiming well-formed, true, and trusty. The Grand Master, also called the Worshipful Master, by the way, in the craft of masonry, then blesses. He blesses the cornerstone by extension, representing the entire project by pouring corn, which means grain, and doesn't necessarily have to be maize. He pours corn, wine, and oil. Corn, wine, and oil. It's a sacrifice, folks. This this harkens back to human sacrifice at the foundations of buildings to bless those buildings. It's totally Luciferian, totally occultic, all right? Of course, the Masons say, or the Illuminati, the Masons, the globalists, the elitists, these fallen angels, the, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Sanhedrin is what they are. They are the hall of hewn stone. They say the corn of nourishment symbolizes health and hardiness of the workers. They say the wine of refreshment symbolizes plenty, and the oil of joy symbolizes peace and joy. They also state that there's no magical effect. The Grand Master has no power to bestow these benefits. He is quite simply asking asking that these benefits and blessings be bestowed upon the project and the people by Gayato. Gayato is the great architect of the universe. That's who they refer to their God as. Gaiato, the great architect of the universe. Um, understanding that they must have an understanding of the arts of necromancy. Get that? Mm-hmm. So uh, so let's look at some of the occult symbolism on the Masonic Cornerstone Ceremony. This was written by a guy named Fraser in 2006 in a book that he wrote called The Golden Bow. The Golden Bow, B-O-U-G-H. And it charts the various proprietary sacrifices and effigy substitution, such as the shadow. Now, this is really this is really creepy, Miss mm-hmm. Capel. Have you read this about the shadow? Now, this is really creepy. Nowhere, perhaps, does the equivalence of the shadow to the life or soul come out more clearly than in some customs practiced to this day in southeastern Europe. In modern Greece, when the foundation of a new building is being laid, it is the custom to kill a cock or a rooster, a ram or a lamb, and to let its blood flow on the foundation stone under which the animal is afterwards buried. Okay, you get this? This is animal sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So when 
The Masons do a cornerstone ceremony and do oil, corn, and wine. It's a, it's a sacrifice. This is a mockery of the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. who was a sacrifice of our sins and gave us eternal life. That's right. See, they they in order to do this, they had to have that knowledge, those scriptural knowledge. Mm-hmm. In fact, well, they use the same scriptures. Yeah, and plus it's all over the Old Testament about the wine and the oil and the um, um, corn. the corn. Yes, it's all in in there. In fact, that's what the meal that you eat before God. Yes, it, it what they do. In fact, when when I had uh, and it's a sad story, but when I had joined the Masons, um, <laughs> I I had asked an Assembly of God pastor that my parents went to uh, what he thought of that, and you know what he told me? Uh, bless his heart. That he saw nothing wrong with it. In fact, he had two brothers who were Assembly of God ministers who belonged to the Freemasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, nothing wrong with it. So, I joined. <laughs> mm-hmm. But my bad. You know, I wasn't a Christian or but a follower. You know. But, I mean, but really his bad to be a pastor and to of Assembly of God. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, it's interesting, too, in Hosea, it says, um, 2.8, For she did not know, and this is God speaking, For she did not know that I gave her corn, wine, and oil. Hmm. And multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Mm. So they took what God gave and gave it to Satan. When I had joined, um, and I was asking a bunch of questions about the ritual and stuff, they told me, oh, it all comes from the Bible. Mm-hmm. It all comes from King Solomon and you know Hiram Abiff and building of the temple. It all comes from the Bible. These old men actually believed that. Yeah, that what do. they were doing was just Bible stuff. And so it you can see that they actually used the scriptures we read about the stones. They actually used that to justify their cornerstone ceremony. But it's it's given to the wrong God. It's anti-Christ. Mm-hmm. It's anti-Yahweh. It's a mockery. They, they're dedicating the things of the earth to their God. All mm-hmm. right? So let me get back to the shadows. Unless you have something else to add. Okay. So they do a blood sacrifice of, a, of an animal and they let the they let the blood flow down to the foundation stone, and the animals then then buried under the building. Right, the object of the sacrifice is to give strength and stability to the building. But check this out: sometimes instead of killing an animal, this is weird. The builder entices a man to the foundation stone, secretly measures his body, or a part of it, or his shadow. And then he buries the measure under the foundation stone. Mm. Or he lays the foundation stone upon the man's shadow. It is believed that the man will die within the year. Hmm. I have never heard of that. That's in Eastern Europe. In, in, In modern Greece. They're still doing. And today in Greece, they're still doing the animal sacrifices or this shadow killing. So they entice somebody to the the foundation, the cornerstone. They measure them, or they put the foundation stone directly upon the man's shadow, and then it's believed the guy will die within a year. The Romanians of Transylvania think that he whose shadow is thus immured will die within forty days. Hmm. So it's not just in Greece; it's other people who believe this. So persons passing by a building which is in course 
of erection may hear a warning cry. Beware lest they take thy shadow. (laughs) Not long ago, there were still shadow traders whose business it was to provide architects with the shadows necessary for securing their walls. Isn't that weird? Shadow traders. So that means you're working for these Satanists and you're getting innocent people to come and look at this new building or something. And unbeknownst to them, their shadows being used as a sacrifice. That is yeah, some creepy stuff. That's some creepy stuff. Um, it says that uh, in these cases, the measure of the shadow is looked on as an equivalent to the shadow itself. And to bury it is to bury the life or soul of the man who deprived of it must die. Mm. You see what I mean? What what the Antichrist philosophy is? Christ is the foundation stone. He doesn't require us to give up our shadow. Mm-mm. He pays the price for that. It's not death for us. It's eternal life. That's right. Thus, the custom is a substitute for the old practice of immuring a living person in the walls or crushing him under the foundation stone. You get it? Crushing him under the foundation stone. What does the scripture say? Jesus is the, is the stone of stumbling. They'll mm-hmm. stum- and if someone stumbles on it or if it falls on them, they'll be crushed. Mm-hmm. So the occultists take it. They kill a person and crush it under the, the stumbling stone. The, the foundation stone. Um, and they do this in order to give strength and durability to the structure, or more definitely, in order that the angry ghost may haunt the place and guard it against the intrusion of enemies. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to tie that in. I wanted to I tie... see the whole necromancy thing in here. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. They must have an understanding of the arts of necromancy. That's exactly it. Now they're taking the souls of people, the shadows of people. And at the very last line I just said, so if they kill somebody, they're ghosts. Mm -hmm. The dead person will then give the building strength and protect it. Yeah. Necromancy. And you know, they were talking, and I'll go back to the, um, the corn, the wine, and the oil. That those are all symbols of Christ. The corn is the bread or the flesh of Christ. It's the the bread of life, mm. right? And the wine of refreshment refers to the blood of Christ. And the oil of joy is the Holy Ghost. Yeah. So, see, they right there they make a mockery of it too. Just they take really, all this, mm. and so like people like me who had a Christian background but weren't actually dedicated to Christ. You know, waltz right into uh, recruitment, a messianic, I mean, a uh, Masonic recruitment, and they tell me, oh, it's all in the Bible. I'm, I'm, oh, yeah, I remember hearing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They even mm-hmm. give you a Bible, a Masonic Bible, yeah. which is a real King James Bible with a bunch of other, you know, commentary on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they even give you that, you know, um, because they are taking the things of God and make them profane. Right. Uh, but they hate they hate Yahweh mm-hmm. and they hate Yahweh when he came down here in flesh. They hate that. Yeah. They don't want anyone 
the apostles on speaking what they call this name. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when the word of God, you know, was the, the hate, they, they, they hated like the martyr Stephen and so much that they were actually gnashing at their teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that's a lot of hate. Yeah. It's a lot of venom there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, after he said after he said to them what he said cuz now you know they're they're the ruling class, the elite. They're the pretty boys. They're the strong, courageous. See, their spirits were checked by the word of God. Yes. That, and then here's this who's this Stephen guy? This Hellenistic Jew blasting me and calling me a stiff-necked piece of crap. You know? Wow. And they hate that. And so you see it through everything they own. That's why Madonna, you know, did the cross thing. And there's Christians. So that's why we play some of those stupid country songs mm-hmm. that talk about hallelujah and uh, what was the other one? Holy, you're holy, 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 mm-hmm. singing to some girl about bedding her down. Mm-hmm. Why, why don't they? Why don't they use the Quran to mm-hmm. sing their stupid country songs? Why don't they use the the Quran? But see, that's what it means when the Bible says we fight not against flesh and blood, mm-hmm. but it's against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and the uh, wicked, the wickedness, and the, the wicked, evil ones in the heavenly places. Mm-hmm. And that's why they use Christian symbology and they mock it. And by mocking it and using it, they degrade it to the uh, people that are not adept to the ignorant masses. And that's like you said. That's why they 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 uh, use God's name in vain all the time mm-hmm. in movies and in real life. GD this, Jesus did that. But you know, it just rolls off the tongue because mm-hmm. it's the degradation. Then you got organizations like the Masons doing cornerstone ceremonies. And hey, I'm not going to even get into the capstone of the pyramid mm-hmm. on the back of a dollar bill. Let me just mention that the Masons put a. A, a, a pyramid as their temple they're mm-hmm. building on the back of mammon mm-hmm. what represents their mammon and that's why they said in god we trust in yeah. god we tr- not yes. god yahweh but in their god their god mammon they trust in it and then they take a disembodied capstone and put an all-seeing eye of horus lucifer watching over them right it's the same thing they could take these scriptures about the stone and put it in it's not the stone of christ who finishes the temple of yahweh it's their stone. Mm-hmm. And you can go on and on. And what better way to get that symbolism out into every hand in America and globally than to put it on the back of a $1 bill? Right. Everybody sees it over and over and over again. Symbolism has a lot of strength. Mm-hmm. And see, and they're waiting their Messiah to come. Yes. To put the, his personage on, his, on the uh, capstone. Mm-hmm. The they're just holding it all together since the since the Maccabean period. Mm-hmm. Since the Hasmonean kingships, they're holding it all together. Yeah, they're still waiting for their Messiah. Yeah, it's a like they said, it's a process. Mm-hmm. It's a process. Oh, but they're well, gonna. They have gonna a rude awakening now, don't yeah. they? Yeah. So you know, folks, be careful of Zionism. Be careful of you know churches and people who are promoting you know israel this israel that and blah 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 you know really you really got to be careful with this understand that and understand what's behind that mm-hmm. um a lot of good people have fallen for that and because of that and there are some um very very evil evil wicked 
sons of the serpent Mm -hmm. who have totally rejected God, rejected their Messiah in the flesh, and have become reprobate and actually are seeds of the serpent. There is no changing that or them. And they hate you. Mm-hmm. If you love Christ, if you love Yahweh, they hate you and everything you represent. That's right. And do everything to destroy that. All right? See why God says you can't be friends with the world? That's ex- exactly, exactly the thing. It's That's why Jesus stressed that. Mm-hmm. You, you can't, you can't have both. You, you can't do both. You know, um, thank you for reminding me of that because I suspect that really true occult Freemason, Freemasonry did start with the Jewish Sanhedrin after they murdered their God in the flesh and rejected his apostles and prophets. And they stumbled on the cap or the foundation stone of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And these Illuminati, wicked, evil sons of the serpent continue to operate hiding in plain sight. That's right. They were and they are pure evil without redemption. It is no surprise that every true biblical lover and follower of Jesus Christ must reject anything offered to them through the powers of these world tyrants. That's right. It makes sense why Jesus denounced fame, fortune, and worldly success in light of his eternal path to real life in God. Mm-hmm. So when you see these money preachers that are making millions of dollars and, and they're, they're very successful, Rick Warren, Joel Olstein, I can go on and on, half of them I don't even know anymore. No, you know, in the, so Philippines, in the Philippines, in uh, the Philippines, who's the only one I know Prince. is that, yeah, yeah, Joseph Prince. There's a bunch of them that are just multimillionaires. That's not of God. Mm-hmm. That's of the Sanhedrin. Those are God haters. Jesus never said, get rich in this world, be wealthy, be famous, be be so comfortable, have it all, be controlling, have all servants under you. He never said that. He said the first shall be last. That's right. The last shall be first. If you really want to be the kingdom of God, you'll be a servant. Mm-hmm. You'll serve others. Period. That's what Jesus said. Whether you like it or not, that's what he said. That's right. The other people that hate him say the opposite. And that's why these little stupid kids will go on American Idol or The Voice or you name it. Every single country has their own little talent show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Every country has their own little talent show called something. Talent, voice talent, something. And you'll see these these young people get on there and they'll sing and they'll do their thing. And then you look at the eyes of the judges and they're looking at these these kids with ravenous eyes of a wolf That's right. going here's a sacrifice mm-hmm. here she's young enough that we can sexually abuse and train up mm-hmm. and do mind control and fill her with demons and necromancy and then she can continue our and spread agenda. our message yes yes mm-hmm. yes miley cyrus started off as a little girl Brittany. Spears started off as a little girl. Christina Aguilera started off as a little girl. They control it all. Mm-hmm. And stupid humans like Pavlovian dogs just give into this stuff over and over and over again for fame and for fortune, mm-hmm. for power. It's not what Jesus preached. He preached eternal life. 
And once we get that, we'll look back and go, ah, I'm glad I didn't do that other nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else to add? Jesus Christ and Him crucified for me.